Thanks, guys. Appreciate you leading us there. Morning. How good is it to be in a place together gathered like this? Are you happy to be here? Seriously? Are you happy to be here? And what I love about that is that we can meet together like this and we have a whole other group of people that are meeting together in all kinds of different spaces from homes individually. So welcome. It is so good to be together like this. Jeff, I thought that was incredible when you said it's been six months. Did you ever think that would even, was even possible in the life of a church? I mean, it has been so significant for every person involved, I think, but God has this ability of making something good out of anything. And I can't help but think he's doing that and will continue to do that um, as he takes his word into all kinds of different places. So I'm stoked that you're here. It's really good. Um, I'd love to know the count. Someone can get it to me later. I reckon we're pretty close, so it's good. Thanks for joining us today. Um, So far in this series of enlarging your capacity, we've looked at some different aspects of who we are of people from our spiritual health, our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health, and today our relational health with one more to go next week. It's an interesting series for lots of reasons. One of them is it's actually a very sensitive area when you speak into different aspects of your life. And you are one person, you can't kind of disconnect all those different areas in your life, but they absolutely do have impact on your life and one affects the other. And so what I've noticed, I don't know about you, when I'm feeling that I'm in a healthy space in one of those areas, I feel like I've got more capacity to give, more capacity to serve, more of a capacity to partner with Jesus to build up his church. And the opposite is also true. When I'm feeling I'm unhealthy in some of those spaces, I feel like my capacity to serve, even to love sometimes, is significantly reduced. And so we wanted to look at those different areas and explore that and go, well, how can we, if we're going to enlarge our house and spread out our home, how do we first enlarge our capacity to do whatever God calls us to do? Now, God can use you and me in any season of life. And you're never disqualified from being used powerfully in the kingdom of God. But I'd love us to be in a place where we have a capacity to do whatever God has called us to do. Um, I read this during the week from just one of the five Bible passages that we have. And there was something about this that captured me, even the heart of this series. And it says this. Sorry, where is it? That's one right there. In 2 Corinthians, it says this. It says, We hope that your faith will grow so that the boundaries of our work among you will be extended. Then we will be able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you where no one else is working. There's something about that that captures the heart of this series for me. So my hope in this series is that as a community of people, we would grow our faith We would actually understand who we are and build health into the way that we do life so that we can extend the work that God's given us to do as Coast Community, so that we can enlarge our house, so that we can spread out our home and maybe go into places where no one else has gone before. 
And so if we've got the capacity for that, so that our boundaries can increase all for God's glory, it's about the gospel being proclaimed in places that it hasn't been. And what I like about this series, there's actually already people sharing particular aspects and messages of this series on YouTube because they're very relevant to people. So today, as we kind of open up this conversation about relational health, can I acknowledge that that is actually a very sensitive area of life? Because relationships are very precious to us and they can actually cause us to have a rich and satisfying life. Yet at the same time, when there's some dysfunction and disconnection and hurt, it's significant and it can be really painful. And so today, I don't think I'm going to teach you anything new. It's not about teaching you something new. Today, my hope for every person that's here, for every person that's at Bensville gathered, for every person that is online in any way who's engaging with this, that we can be really open to the Holy Spirit and what he wants to bring to the surface in our lives today and just take one thing away that we will further explore. Just one thing. That, you know what, there's something in that for me that I feel God wants me to do something about in regards to my relationships and I want to explore that further with him. So, now I don't know if you understand this like I do. My, my personal experience is when there's been relation. Now, when I say relationships, I want to actually narrow that down. We could speak so much today. Our relationship with God, as important as what that is. Relationship with all our friends and acquaintances and work colleagues, as important as what they are. I want to narrow this down to the key relationships in your life. The people that are closest to you. Because I don't know about you, my experience is that when relationships are going well, I feel like I've got a a much larger capacity. But when there is, and there has been in my life, those times where relationships are in a really unhealthy place, and some of those can be a point where there's actually even separation and disconnection and, and no contact, and sometimes it's little niggly things that can happen all the time. But in those key core relationships that are really close to you, how do we facilitate health and a direction towards health consistently so that we have a capacity to serve? Things like marriages, things like in your parenting if you've got kids, things like relationships with your parents or your siblings, maybe the people you work for, your employer, or if you employ people, the people that are, you spend a lot of time with, they're kind of really close to you. Can I, can I just suggest this? And this is just my thought, but from observation, I think it may be right, that by default, the default position of relationships in your life is that they are declining. The normal path without any attention or investment in any relationship you've got in those key relationships, it's actually the path is of to decline, to unhealth. Now, that's not a very inspiring way to start a message, but I think we need to eyeball that and understand that, that that's what would happen. So here's an analogy. Here's a, here's a tree. This is probably one of Kel's favourite trees, a magnolia tree, and Kel's a much better gardener than me. Praise God, so our garden looks all right. But what's interesting, we can can kind of grab a tree, 
that one would cost you a bit of money. You grab a tree and plant it. And the way I think about gardening is I kind of plant it and hope for the best. I kind of just plant it, trust that the soil's all right, trust it'll rain every now and then, and it will go okay. Now, Kel would say that's a ridiculous way to garden. You don't do that, and I know that. But my personality and my tendency is that's the way I would garden. And you can kind of get away with it because it probably will grow to some degree. Now, if we actually use that analogy even for maybe, for those of you who've got kids or thinking kids or even grandkids, it's like, well, let's, let's have a couple of kids and let's just plant them in a family and let's just hope that they grow. Let's just hope they do all right. It's an interesting way to think and it just makes me wonder even in the way that we would think about parenting in our current culture of running business, trusting good educators at school, maybe kids being in church environments or wherever, and go, you know what? I I think my kids are all set up and therefore I don't need to actually intentionally gauge as much as what I need to. We can't just plant kids in a family and expect them to grow. The parenting relationship you have with your kids is intentional and consistent and actually takes a lot of intentional discipleship over many, 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 many years to see kids grow into the people that God's called them to be. It just makes me wonder in our, in our current culture of our parenting, maybe we can check out a little bit too much in that space. What about this analogy? Um, you buy a brand new car. Anyone bought a brand new car recently? Is Anyone? Seriously? Anyone bought a brand new car recently? Anna, you have. So I remember the first time I bought a brand new car and someone said to me, Kev, the moment you drive it out of that car yard, what? You lose money. It's almost like from the moment you buy this new thing, it is declining straight away. And, and you lose value and it actually gets, it gets less. It's an interesting scenario because I think that's what happens with our relationships. And quite often in a... In a pre-marriage wedding class, I can be talking, not a class, just a conversation really, I don't really do classes, but I can talk to someone and go, you know, from the moment that you actually are standing at the altar for your wedding ceremony, from that point on, it's all downhill from there. And I say that in a way, relationally, and see, those of you laughing, you know what I'm talking about. Um, because we get this peak and this climax to a, to a wedding ceremony. And if we're not intentional about our marriage relationship, you're on a path to decline and even separation. That's just what happens. And so it takes for relational health in key relationships, very intentional investment and connection to see our relationships in a good place. Like here's, check this out, of an analogy of a car. See, a car could look like this one here and actually be very much deteriorated or with care and investment and love, it can actually be more valuable. And it just makes me wonder in our, in our marriages, in our key relationships, that what would it take for us to really lead ourselves and lead those to a point where they are in good condition, where they are healthy, where there is a rich and satisfying life because we're very connected. Here's the thing that I think has actually happened in COVID time. 
I think it's actually brought the importance of engagement in the home to front and centre, where we would say that the home is the primary place of discipleship, the primary place of growth, the primary place of seeing people maybe even step into faith from family and neighbours, etc., and growth. And it starts in the home. And so from the key relationships we have, what can we do to build real health in those places? Now, the other thing I want to acknowledge before I get into some things that you are only responsible for your part. Unfortunately, we can't control people. We can't make people do things that we think that they should be doing. But you are responsible for your part. And can I encourage you that in that responsibility that you embrace it 100%. In every one of the key relationships you have in your life, that you actually embrace your part of that um, relationship and responsibility completely, 100%. I'm going to do whatever I can do in that relationship to build this relationship to a healthy place. Everything is within my power. Everything expecting God's going to work through me to see that happen. So here's the deal. The Bible is very interesting to engage with. And there's lots of things in the Bible that you go, actually, we could talk about that. What does that mean? I'm not sure what that means. How do we unpack that? We need to get a concordance out and go deeper. And all that's very good. But when it comes to relationships, the Bible is very clear. Very clear. I want to give you a few examples of some of these key relationships and how clear the Bible is. Now, I'm not going to read these scriptures. I would encourage you to think if this is one of the things, I'm going to explore it further. So kids, for the kids that are with us today, the Bible is very clear that there's a call for you to honour your mother and father. It's pretty clear to honour your mother and father. And I see a few elbows going at the moment. Kids. I'm not picking on you. I'm just actually giving you some good instruction from the Bible. It actually says, kids, you had to listen to your parents. You need to listen to the instruction that your parents are giving. If you've got a mum or a dad or a grandparent or someone who's in your space in that parent figure, you are, you are blessed. And God wants you to listen to the instruction, especially when there's a Christian influence in that to lead you. Dads, it's pretty clear for us that we are never to be harsh with our kids. It's easy to say, it's hard to do. When stress gets in the way of our busy lives, that's a challenge. But we're called to bring discipline and instruction in the Lord. Pretty clear. Wives, wives, it talks about, and wives and husbands, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it's pretty clear. It's pretty, pretty clear direction. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And for wives, that looks like this unconditional respect. And for husbands, it's actually laying your life down like Jesus did for the church. So you see what I mean? Like the relational aspect of those key relationships, the Bible's really clear. What about employers? It talks about being just and fair. To be actually respectful. If you're an employee, deep respect for your employer and actually wanting to please them even when they're not watching you. All of this is about key relationships and the health that we can have. What about the instructions for for parents looking after their parents, their elderly parents, for adults looking after? There's so much instruction in the Bible about building healthy 
key relationships. And it's there for a reason. Now, here's the deal. Jesus wants to bring life in all its fullness, and the enemy wants to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus wants you to be connected and connected in loving relationships. A bit like Jeff was talking about a couple of weeks about that kind of religion where ligaments are being joined together and they can be rejoined together when they've been separated because the enemy wants to get in there and it's diabolical and he wants to separate relationships. And so you and I have a responsibility, we have an opportunity and we have a calling on our life to do whatever we can with the strength God provides to actually bring a direction to our relationships that is to a point of health. So can I today just encourage you with three deep relational principles that I believe if we follow these through would bring any key relationship back to a place or to a place or keep it in a place towards health. Now, as you'll see, these are things that are stuff in here. It needs to land at a practice. It needs to land at things that you can do, but really deep things in here, perspectives and core beliefs you can have that will build health into your relationship. So here we go. One is to value every person, to really value every person. Like I love this in Philippians where it says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. You see, one of the highlights that have come out of COVID time is that we want to be, we want to be a community of people that is actually focused on other people. We want to actually look to the benefit of other people, not just ourselves. That's a biblical principle. But when you apply it to the key people in your world and to everyone in your world, actually, can we really say that we absolutely value people? like completely value people? Do we see them as valuable? Do we see them as precious? Like I love these verses in, in Luke where Jesus talks about this. He goes, look at the ravens because he often used those examples. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. And God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So not only can you have a belief that you are valuable in God's sight, because you absolutely are completely valuable, but can I, quick stock take, do you actually see people as valuable? The people in your family, the people just that you connect with anywhere, as valuable people, immense value. John Maxwell is one of my favourite authors and he writes a lot of things on leadership and, and he would actually, his practice of this in seeing value in people, when he meets someone for the first time, he actually just, it's funny the way he thinks about it, he says, I just put a 10 on their forehead. I just see them as a 10 out of 10 straight away. That's my first, that's my first gut feeling when I meet somebody. Interesting practice to value people. I mean, what do you see when you see people first? And I like what he says. he says. He says this. It's a great quote. It's John Maxwell. He says this. You can't secretly look down on others and build them up at the same time. Isn't that an interesting thought? See, this is inside stuff. This is in your mind. How do you think about others, especially the key people in your world, the key relationships? How do you think about them? Because thoughts can creep in and they can be very destructive. And that's where it starts. 
Do you see people as valuable? Now, some of you know I'm a guitarist, and some of you would know that that top guitar there is one that I used to own. And it was a very expensive guitar. I loved it, and I wish I'd never sold it. I hate selling things like that. I'm still getting over that, aren't I, Kel? And below you can see this guitar that actually would not be worth much at all. It's interesting, both those guitars are made in the image of a guitar. That's, that was their starting point. And it just makes me wonder, if we see people as products or do we see them as people? Do we see people as more of a product about who they are and what they're doing and, or do we see them as someone who has got immense value, created in the image of God, on purpose, for a purpose, and they have inherent value There's so much value within them. I just want to remind you first that you are so valuable to God, more than what you would ever know. But secondly, for the key relationships, in fact, for every relationship, do you see people as valuable people? Do you just value people? Some of the conversation I hear, some of the conversation I hear I talk about can be actually quite disrespectful to people initially. How do we really value people well, the other thing I'd say, um, I'll share this verse. I think this verse speaks for itself, but it's about this. How can we, instead of trying to fix other people, we just allow God to transform us? That's an interesting thought. Check this out. You heard it before in Matthew 7. Most likely it says this. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You see, God wants to, by his spirit, actually bring a transformation in your life that's lasting. He wants to do that. The tendency is, though, we actually try and see all the things in our, in our other people's lives that needs correcting and fixing, and we actually miss the point that God wants to work in our life. See, I personally have a full-time job of trying to get logs out of my eyes. That's a full-time job. I have not got time, energy or capacity to try and fix other people. And I hope, my hope is that if someone gets into my space, that they would feel zero judgment from me, no matter what's going on in their life. Because I understand that there's logs in my eyes that I'm actually engaging with God. God, I need your transformation. I need you to actually do a work in me. God, I need your spirit to actually bring a transformation. I need you to change the way that I think. And if I'm intentional in that space and working with God in that space and he's facilitating that, I've got no time to judge anybody else. And so I don't know what it looks like in your key relationships, how that flavour or culture would be for you. But I tell you what, I think this is significant. If there is even a whiff that you're judging somebody in your key relationships or any relationship, people are going to disconnect straight away. Where if people sense that they understand that there's zero judgment from you, in fact, they know that you're engaging with God, that's an inspiration for people and it will bring your relationships closer together. You know, if we start blaming, 
or we start judging, we will be kind of have this hypocritical aspect to our life and that just turns people away. I want to ask you how, are you, how are you personally engaging with Jesus? What practices would you have in place that cause you to personally engage with Jesus so that he brings a transformation to your life? Because seriously, that's a lifelong journey. That's a full-time job. And he wants to do it in you. He wants to bring that out in you. And so the third thing that I want to present today that I think is one of the biggest is this, is this to truly forgive. Forgiveness is actually a massive issue in relationship. In fact, I reckon in my life, in meeting with people, it would be the number one theme. You've probably heard me say that before, of being unforgiveness. So here's this story in Matthew where here's Peter. Peter's been with Jesus for a long time in his ministry. And Peter comes to him after watching Jesus perform all kinds of miracles, do all kinds of things. And Peter says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? See, Peter's thinking, I've grown a lot, man. I used to think once. I used to think if you forgive someone once, you give them one chance, no second chance, they're out. That's probably how we thought, because he's going, actually, seven times? That's a lot. And Jesus confronts him and goes, how, how about way more than that, buddy? How about but 70 times seven? Now, Jesus isn't putting a number on that. He's just saying in life, in relationships, especially your key relationships, you're going to be challenged daily with issues of unforgiveness. You're going to be challenged daily with people that will offend you, annoy you, frustrate you. And you're going to have plenty of practice. See, this passage, actually, I haven't got it on PowerPoint. Let me just read it for you because this is what Jesus says after that. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who'd borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was bought in him who owed him a million bucks. Imagine that. Someone owing you a million bucks and they come before you. He couldn't pay. And so his master ordered him that he be sold along with his wife, his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. Pretty severe. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. And then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him for his, um, and forgave his debt. Imagine that, owing someone a million bucks and you're going, I just can't do it. And they go, that's all right. Totally wiped. That'd be great if someone would do that with my mortgage. That'd be pretty cool. Um, Goes, But when the man left the king, so this is a guy who's just been forgiven for a million dollar debt. But when the man left the king, many of you know the story, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creator wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until, it could, until the debt could be paid in full. And when, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that happened. And the king called in the man who had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's pretty full on. Because here's the deal. Through Jesus and what Jesus did 
by giving his life for you and for me. You are completely forgiven. Completely forgiven. Completely let off the hook. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is being let off the hook. Forgiveness is about letting go. Forgiveness is about unhitching the burden. And it does, it's not fair. It never is fair. It never seems right because it just isn't. It's probably not just. But forgiveness is about letting go. And so Jesus looks at you and me and goes, I've completely forgiven you, completely let it go. I've completely let you off the hook. You can live in freedom knowing that the relationship you have with me and you and me, God and you, totally good. Yet then we actually live in key relationships sometimes and hold these grudges against people. And it causes division and it causes a direction that takes us in this very unhealthy place. And to bring back to that core and that centre of being forgiven by Jesus and passing it on every day. You know, if you live in a family, who lives in a family of some kind? Do. Yep. You're going to have training every day on how to forgive people. It's just what happens. Here's the deal. If you don't get good at forgiveness, one little thing's going to add to another little thing that's going to add to another little thing. You're going to have resentment and frustration in your life that will lead to complete disconnection in your family. Or you and I can choose to actually really engage with Jesus and understand our forgiveness and choose to pass it on and to let people off the hook, to let it go. You don't even have to understand a lot of stuff to forgive. It's a choice. It's a disposition. You'll have plenty of practice. Here's one practice I do. Some of you know that I do this because I've spoken about it before, but it's significant. Every morning I'll pray through the Lord's Prayer as a framework for my prayer life. And I actually do it while I'm driving. So it's not a big deal. I'm not like sitting down for five hours praying. I'm driving and praying through the Lord's Prayer every day, every time that I come to the point, Father, forgive me for my sin and help me to forgive others that sin against me. Every day, God brings someone to mind that I've got an unforgiveness issue with. Every time. Now, sometimes it might just be a small thing, but I want to catch it small. Or sometimes it's something that I'm actually every day trying to forgive the same person. But if you do that deep work and understand that you're completely forgiven, you can pass it on. You can tell by my voice, this is probably one of my most passionate things that I speak about. Because I don't think we do it well. I don't think I do it well sometimes. It's actually hard, deep work to live without carrying any weight, any baggage of unforgiveness for any person. So take that right back to your key relationships. It could be your partner or your kids or your siblings or someone that you work with every day or your parents. Someone in that circle where you would consider them a key relationship. I want to encourage you to get good at forgiveness. I bank on that in my family that they'll forgive me. They have lots of practice too. How do we get good at that? You know, some relationships move to a point where there's complete disconnection. I've got some of those relationships in my family. And forgiveness is significant. And forgiveness alone may not result in reconciliation, but I tell you what, it certainly opens up a pathway forward when there's genuine, significant, deep forgiveness that you have. 
So, remember I said just grab one thing? I don't know what it is for you yet. But I trust that you'll take one thing away and explore it further. Because you can't, you can't do that deep work here. It will take further exploration and engagement with God. To really kind of bring this home, really what I'm talking about is a foundation of love. It's actually a foundation of real, genuine love that you have for people. Genuine love. You know, Jesus lifted the bar on love. When Jesus was born and lived and was speaking in his ministry, he'd refer to the law and he'd take it to a whole new level. He lifted the bar on love. Check this out. Jesus says, you've heard the law says, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father is perfect. You see, God's grace will cover the gap, praise God, but he lifts the bar on love. He calls you and me to actually be agents of love, to really take it deep. The culture of the kingdom is love, and we can throw that word around. We've lost the depth of what it means to actually have real, genuine love for people. Why does does Jesus lift the bar on love? Because Jesus has lifted the bar of love on you. Jesus Jesus loved you when you were an enemy of his, if you would ever consider that you were. Jesus loves you even when you are disobedient. He loves you. He doesn't change. He doesn't change his love. And you can love people and not be okay with their behaviour. That's totally fine. And actually, when you come from a disposition of love and you can say, you know what, I I absolutely love you, but what you're doing there is not okay. You can have those conversations because you're coming from a place of love. But if you think about your key relationships, is love right in the middle? You know, we want to be a place that's healthy and growing and full of love. And that's in families, in ministries, in everything we do. I get pretty simple. Jesus gets pretty simple sometimes. And some of his simplicity would say things like, but, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So God is love. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have his spirit with you, praise God. So you've got love in you. So how do we engage with love who's God by spirits in you and actually let that overflow. It will change your relationships. I don't know what the stock take of your relationships are in your key relationships. I don't know how healthy they are or how unhealthy they are, but I know they're challenging, I know they're tough, and there's always changing stuff. If you can genuinely love, I love this, most important of all in 1 Peter, continue to show deep love, deep love, for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. In your key relationships, there'd be all kinds of stuff in there where there's a multitude of sin. Love covers it. Love makes a real difference. 
in Romans 9 as we close. I love this verse. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. Never be lazy. Work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. See if there's even a link there. It's like if we can love people well and we live with that kind of love, genuine love, not just pretending, real love. Then we're set up to serve the Lord enthusiastically. If we're actually, if our relationships in our key relationships are really in an unhealthy place, we're not going to have this enthusiastic approach to serving the Lord. We just won't because we won't have the capacity. But if you and I can be people that actually take Jesus seriously, understand his love, understand his forgiveness, understand how much he values us, understand how he doesn't judge us, and go, actually, that's what I want to model in my key relationships. And if you take one of those and allow God to build that in you and bring it up to the front of mind and lift some intentionality, you will see God do some incredible work, not only in you, but the relationships around you. If you're passionate about being contagious in your family, from your core family to your wider family, you can do that. God can use you powerfully. And you can actually have this increasing love for others all because you're allowing God to work in your life. So today, as I close, as I pray, can I just encourage you to invest in those key relationships? To invest in a way that God's leading you so that you're a catalyst. You facilitate healthy relationships. And you can't control people. You can only do your part. But I want to encourage you to absolutely embrace your part. 100% and do whatever you can to bring any key relationship into a healthy place because then you're set up, you're enlarging your capacity, that pipe's expanding, the bucket's overflowing, whichever analogy you want to use, and you're ready to do it, anything, anything God calls you to do. Let me pray about that. Lord, I thank you that you're a God who loves us more than what we'd ever know. And I pray, God, that we'd know that, that we would know the love that you have for us intimately, personally, and I pray, God, that you would help us to live in a way where we express love, real, genuine love, not pretending, not fake, just a real, authentic love. God, I pray, Lord, that for our relationships in our world, that we would see people as valuable people, as really valuable, really precious. Help us to see that people are created in your image, God. And I pray, God, that would just change the way that we'd relate with any person. God, I pray that you would help us not to have any essence of a judgmental spirit. I pray, God, that you'd help us just to really engage personally with you. And I pray your spirit would show us things in our lives that you'd want to change. Show us what those logs are, God, and I pray that with your help and your transforming power by your spirit that we would see change in our life. And I pray, God, that we would engage in that and not be blaming or judging or condemning. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would understand how we've been forgiven by you, Jesus. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you've forgiven us completely. 
And God, I pray that you'd help us to live out forgiveness. Lord, I pray you'd remind us, show us by your spirit when we are catching ourselves, when we're holding a grudge or not forgiving. And I pray, God, that you'd empower us by your spirit to break that and to let it go and let people off the hook. And there's something in our humanness, God, that doesn't make sense or doesn't feel right about that. But in your spirit, God, it feels absolutely the right thing to do. So lead us by conviction. Help us to forgive and help us to love deeply. God, I pray for every relationship that's in this room, that relationships have every relationship in the gathering at Bensville, God, and for people online who are watching. I pray, God, for every relationship that's set up. And I pray, God, that we would take our responsibility to move those relationships into a healthy place. So we commit that to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.